listeners, if it's your first time listening, she's becoming welcome to the show. We are a podcast of multi-generational women studying God's word together, dedicated to being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Check out some of our previous episodes on gender, sex, feminism, and deconstruction on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and the Minnesota Grace Church app and website. And make sure you're following us on Instagram at She's Becoming Podcast because we do lots of fun stuff on Instagram and Instagram's fun and it's honestly the best way for us to connect with you. It's the best way for you to ask questions. It's the best way for us to pray together. So follow us on Instagram. Well, I am your co-host Delaney and I am here in the studio with my co-host Bev. Hey Delaney. Hi. Uh, we always like to start out with one of our signature questions. We've decided now we have we have several, just kind of depending on how we're feeling we're, on the day. We're normally asking each other, too, so I'm like, we got to yeah. change them up. We do. We do. <laughs> we don't want to sound uh, repetitive. Repetitive. Yes. Um, but here's my question for you. Where have you seen God at work in your life lately, Delaney? Oh, man. Um, definitely the way I've seen him the most is in Bible study with Jax. Mm-hmm. Truly, I feel like I keep talking about Leviticus. it. Leviticus. Yeah, I keep talking about it, but honestly, it's been super impactful and it's been super impactful for me. And it also has just so we okay, just for context, if you don't have you haven't listened to our other episodes, <clears> I've <throat> been talking a lot about how um me and Jax have just finished Exodus and Leviticus and we're working on numbers. So we've been learning about um the holy tent, the law, all the things, what the law means. We've been you How know, to pronounce difficult names. Yeah. The yeah. list of names and numbers is amazing. Yeah. The, I'm not great at that. So we do a lot of, you know, I'm like, whatever this is. Yeah, he, what does he know? Yeah. He doesn't know. <laughs> so I get away with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that has been, honestly, I hope that it's impactful for him. He's four. So sometimes it's hard to tell, but it is just, it's crazy how the word of God, if you read it to your kids and you teach them and you teach them the heart behind it, you teach them how it fits in the whole flow of the Bible, how they actually grasp onto it and can understand it more than you would think. And then how just impactful it's been for me to be reminded of these things and being in these Old Testament like chapters that I'm not usually in, like Leviticus 24 or whatever. I don't even know if Leviticus has 24 chapters, but like just random things that you're not normally in. <laughs> right, right. Just how faith building that has been for me. So that's honestly been the way that um, God has been impacting my life the most recently and hopefully how he's impacting Jax's life too. And you know, they say when you have to boil it down to a child's level, mm-hmm. that's what you learn. That's where you learn and really remember. Oh my gosh. It is so helpful because you're getting the heart behind it. Like when you, when you explain it to a kid, you can't always get all the details in, but you got to get the big idea. You got to drive yeah. that home yeah. and the heart of the heart behind it. And so that's mm-hmm. been really impactful is like remembering the heart behind the law, remembering, I mean, just all of that. Yeah. And boiling it down to that essential is, um, again, the way our brain works to remember. Yes. So you and him will both remember because you've had to work it down. You've had to play with it and boil it and, mm-hmm. and get it into the condensed form. There we go. Just like uh, balsamic vinegar, you know, that the, the gooey stuff, the syrup is so much better than just the, the, the vinegar itself because right. it's been reduced. I don't know about that, but I love <clears throat> balsamic vinegar. So oh, yeah, you have to try that. So maybe we need to do an episode I, on balsamic vinegar. Uh, that would be good. We could do a cooking show. There you go. We could do a cooking show. All right. Back to work, girls. <laughs> Here's our topic today. Um, you know, it's very easy to think that scripture contradicts itself. We often hear this. Well, how can this be true if this is true? Yeah. And some of the statements can seem paradoxical. And yes. now that's kind of a big word. 
but there are many paradoxes that exist in the Christian faith. But let's define what paradox is and then give some examples. The definition is a statement or a proposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd, mm-hmm. but in reality expresses a possible truth. Mm-hmm. So what are some examples of a paradox in Scripture? Well, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, We are weak, then we are strong. Yeah. That's a paradox. Yeah. Both are true. Countercultural, man. <clears throat> right. And then from Matthew 23, Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant. There's the paradox. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's a paradox. The Beatitudes are all a paradox. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Mm -hmm. People insult and persecute you and falsely accuse you of all kinds of evil because of me. So we're blessed in that. That's Mm -hmm. a paradox. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what is weakness and death to the world is the source of our life. And there are so many more in Scripture. Mm-hmm. G.K. Chesterton had written, had written in his book, Orthodoxy, this whole concept of a paradox. And I still remember it so well because it was just such a profound thought to me. Yeah. Now, this year in our w- women's and church Bible studies, we are in the books of Galatians and James. Now, this seems, this is just such a great study as it has the appearance of a contradiction when you know what's in those books. It, we're actually looking at truth. Both are truth, but looking at them, um, the same truth from different sides. I always think of the gospel like a diamond, and it has so many different facets to it. And so uh, Galatians has a facet to the, to the gospel, and then James has a facet to the gospel, hmm. and both are crucial to the beauty of the diamond. And it's a diamond, so it's a diamond. you would use that Diamond, example. baby. <laughs> More diamond. That's a good one. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So in Galatians, we have the Apostle Paul, who was very given a very strong message so clearly. Uh, he said in Galatians 2.16, Know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So, too, we have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by works, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Pretty clear there. Then you turn to the book of James, and here's what he says as a key point. James 2, 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims, keyword there, claims to have faith, but has no deeds? Can such a claim save them? Now, are these apparent contradictions, or are these just another example of the paradox or another facet of the beauty of the diamond of the gospel? So let's look at both of these books and their themes and see if indeed they are talking the same truth, or is it different? Is one to be embraced and the other rejected? We are to use Scripture to inform Scripture. So that is how we're going to resolve this seeming conflict today, Mm -hmm. Delaney. So take us through the themes of Galatians of the book of Galatians, which has been called a letter for 
recovering Pharisees. Hello, legalism. Uh, yes. Well, Hello, Pharisees. This is like also just so important because culture or like people even leaving the Christian faith don't have a good way or don't understand how that scripture informs itself. And so if you are from the outside looking in and you haven't really been able to learn how to study God's word and how scripture informs scripture, it is going to be confusing for you and it will look like scripture is contradicting itself. And so that's why this, this, what we're going to talk about is such a great example of how it's not and how it's really important that you do need to learn how scripture informs scripture and how to interpret scripture correctly. So, okay, back to Galatians. Um, the author of Galatians is Paul, and he introduces himself right at the beginning of the letter to the church of Galatia, and he makes one thing very clear and right at the beginning. Yeah, it is who sure sent does. him. I love this about Paul. I do too. And, and you don't realize how important this is to the whole book, but go on. You'll yes. tell us. Yeah. And he says, I was not sent from men nor through human agency, but through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised from the dead. Paul then makes something else very clear. The orchestrator of the gospel. He says, for I would have, you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel, which was preached by me is not of human invention. For I neither received it from man nor was taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And in introducing who he is, Paul is making sure that you know whose he belongs to, who he is, that he's God's messenger, and that he is a redeemed man. And so literally in this like one sentence, Paul is making these these key points. And he's also making the point here too that what he teach what he's going to be teaching in the book of Galatians is not him. Yeah. It's it's not made up. It's not something he it's his spin on things. It's from it's divinely uh, it was divinely given to him. Which even that right there combats legalism because legalism is so about you. Right. And so if this was Paul writing this and it was him and he made this whole thing up, then that would be that would be right on in line with what legalism is. Right. So he's showing right there that it's not by No, it's not his twist. It's yeah. it's what is true. Yeah. Amen. And he's bringing him back to that truth. Mm-hmm. So the key problem and the key reason that Paul is writing this letter. He quickly addresses it, the purpose, um, right in Galatians 1. It's to the church of Galatia, and they had. it says that they had abandoned the gospel for another gospel, which Paul makes clear is no gospel at all. And so when you read Galatians 1, 6 through 10, uh, you should notice the similarities between our culture today and the church of Galatia, how quick and easy it is to stray from the gospel. Good point. And so staying true to the gospel is the only way to avoid straying from the gospel. I mean, truly, it's so simple. Stick to the gospel, stick to God's word to avoid straying. And Paul knows this and he reminds the people. And in their desertion from the gospel, the church of Galatia had also maligned Paul's reputation and he's defor- he's forced to defend his ministry. So poor, there's some pieces of that in there personal too. Personal stuff. Yeah, poor guy. Yeah. You he, know, but that's part of ministry. Yeah, and he had a lot of like... I feel like in every letter, it's or every letter, it's like a new thorn in his flesh, a new thing he's defending against. Well, but it's true. Mm-hmm. I remember one bishop in London years ago commented, you know, everywhere the apostle Paul went, he he had opposition and was beaten. Everywhere I go, people serve me tea. Wow. Yeah. But this is honestly though, this is why Paul's faith was like this. Like when you are in suffering and when you're being opposed, yeah. the Holy Spirit gives you this crazy strength. Yeah, it like, gives you perseverance. That's yes. what scripture promises. Amen. 
So the key verse in Galatians is found in chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Nevertheless, knowing that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be just, justified. So from Galatians 2, 16, we can really assume that Galatia had turned back to believing in the ceremonial law, um, that that could save them. They were buying into legalism. And so Paul reminds them that they have been declared not guilty. They've been declared justified, that they are now righteous in their standing before God. And because of faith in Christ, which guarantees our salvation. And so it goes into, in the next chapter, um, you know, chapters three through four, like this whole faith in works thing. And so the Galatians, they fell into the trap of legalism, that their good works would sanctify them and would qualify them for salvation instead of the truth and instead of trust and faith in Christ. And you know, that was the old way. That was the being a Pharisee. That's what they believed, that it was all in keeping the law. And even the fact that they had the law, they thought made them righteous. Yeah. Um, So there was a lot to overcome to understand the gospel and the gospel of grace. Yes. And Mm -hmm. like so awesome that they had a mentor like Paul that was able to point these things out. Yeah. But Paul also confronts this ideology with several arguments. And we're just going to go briefly over them today. We encourage you to read them for yourself. But this this really rings true to what we're dealing with in culture now and in the church. So these arguments are super good. First argument is that um, he says to them, you know, you've received the Holy Spirit. You don't need to continue following the ceremonial law, only the spirit of the law, which we know would be the Ten Commandments. Um, second argument against the legalism would be, have you suffered for nothing? Why suffer if your salvation is based on good works? Like, if it's just based on what you do, why do you need to suffer? Exactly. Like, it doesn't make sense. It wouldn't have been opposed because yeah. they oppose it because they were used to this legalistic uh, theology. Mm-hmm. So why suffer? Third would be Paul reminds them to examine their relationship with the Holy Spirit. Who supplies it? Do they work for it? Like how how did you receive the Holy Spirit? We know the Holy Spirit was a gift. Yes, that was given by God. Um, he gives them the example of Abraham in Genesis fifteen six. It says Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So even before Christ died on the cross, all the way back in the beginning of the Bible. And the Holy and before the Holy Spirit like permanently indwelled believers, salvation was still found through faith. It was. And if if there was any time where it was going to be based on works, that would have been the time. Right. But here, the Father of mm-hmm. Israel, yes, of His people, um, He was uh, justified by faith. Yeah, He was. He was justified by His faith in God and His faith that Christ would come. Right. Um, he also, Paul also reminds them of the Old Testament telling about the curse of being under the law. And he emphasizes a couple Old Testament passages that really explain this well. Paul also emphasizes that we can never do enough to earn salvation, which is why we need faith. Just that key point right there that yeah. we, we can never do enough to match God's holiness. And plus, we know that we're born as sinners. So just it doesn't work. No. Um, he also reminded them that Jesus redeems us from the curse of the law, and then he explains the purpose of the law, which I love that he did this. Yes, it was important because he's yes. not disregarding he's the law. He's not disregarding it. He's explaining why we had the law, and it says, therefore, the law has become our guardian to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. I love that he brought that up. Um, and then continuing on in Galatians, if you look at 
chapter four, um, there's this illustration of Sarah and Hagar. And so, which is from the Old Testament. And he used this to talk to the people who wanted to be under the law. So there was a group of people that wanted to be under this old law. So what's super interesting to me as I was thinking about why would you want to be under the law? Like to me that I was like, that doesn't make sense. But there's an attraction to people to be under the law because there is this ability to boast in what you are doing to earn your salvation. And it's like you feel like you have more control, I think, too, over it if you believe that. Mm -hmm. But Paul contrasts um, Sarah and Hagar by explaining that Hagar and her offspring are slaves while Sarah and her offspring are free. So Ishmael was from Hagar and Abraham. So he was being born out of sin while Isaac from Sarah and Abraham were born out of God's promise. And so he gives them an example that they would understand. They would know the story. Um, They would remember God's promises. This was something that they would have read. And so this is something that they would have really related to. And then in chapters five and six of Galatians, it explains the freedom that is found in living in Christ, that we have been justified and that we are no longer bound to the law. It also talks about how to endure with others and how to come alongside others as free men. Like we are free now, like we can come alongside people. And that's what Paul is really doing to them. So Beth, we've talked about Galatians. Um, how, how does James contrast from this message is it yeah. a paradox? Is it a contradiction? Yeah, that's that's why we're doing this. I think it's a great question, and so so many people today are going to have that kind of question as they look into these books. So I'm going to go through the themes of James, and then we will come to some, some conclusions at the end here of exactly how we see this and how we think Scripture is set up here with these two books that do seem to contrast. When reading the book of James, you can really be confused because in this book, listen to this, Delaney, there are some 50 imperatives Mm. or things James commands us to do. Now, we just went through Galatians. Yeah, we're like no legalism. No no doing, people. It's all been done for you. Um, So let's get an overview of the book of James, and then we'll go back to that central question, trying to reconcile these two books in Mm. some way. So the author here, we start with the author again, is James. Obviously, uh, this has not been refuted. This James is the half-brother of Jesus. James was a non-believer in Christ until after the resurrection. Which, is, which is always interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. They, you you they, grew up yeah. with Christ, but it was that that probably showed you. Probably stumbled. Yeah. It probably made him stumble. You probably. Know? Yeah. Someone close to us, like, how could it be him? The I'd be Messiah? Like, oh, he's so annoying. He never He's says. my brother. Yeah. yeah. Really goody two-shoes. Yeah. Anyway, so in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, it says specifically that Jesus appeared to James. So James had his personal appearance of the resurrected Lord. Okay, of that is sweet. How how powerful and was special, that? Like your brother. Yeah, totally changed his life. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, James simply here calls himself a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. However, James became the leader of the Jerusalem church and suffered so much for his faith in Christ. Tradition, now not scripture, speak of James being such a godly man of prayer. They called him camel knees because he prayed so much on his knees. Do camels, are they on their knees a lot or something? They're, they go down to their knees and they have big calluses on their knees. Oh, yeah. that's really sweet. Yeah, that's how they get down from their height. They kind of first go to their knees. Yeah, okay, that makes so sense. So also from tradition, this just is very sobering to learn that uh, James was martyred for his testimony of faith. He was first beaten and thrown off the temple. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. 
the book tells us who it's written to. It's written to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So when the persecution started uh, of Christians in Jerusalem, all of these converted Jews had to flee. Not all of them, but many did. Um, And they settled in other areas of the Roman Empire. Then why did he write? So that's who he is writing to, these people who have been dispersed. These individuals, because they were scattered, they were rather immature in their faith. The churches weren't yet established or were just being established. They needed to grow. Would it be fair to say they were like new believers? Yes. Most, uh, yes, this is early on in the church, early on. And without that central... um, mama church in Jerusalem, right? But, you know, you're, they're kind of away, away from, from their mentors and their right, teachers right. And, their and the apostles yeah. and the apostles. Totally. So they were going through really difficult days of testing. They were, you know, considered outcasts by the Jews and Gentiles, hmm. so the other Gentiles in the Roman empire. They didn't fit. They were dealing with some very difficult issues. And these are still issues for us today. Um, we don't fit either. We go counterculture. Yeah. And so we suffer for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Paul, uh, James here is really going to challenge them that they needed to be consistent with their profession of faith and then with the way they lived. So those two things had to line up. Now, the first theme he gets to, first imperative, is impatience and difficulties. There were trials. There were temptations. In other words, difficult circumstances and, and temptations within James asked his readers to consider their trials pure joy. Oh. I, I always stop at that. Yeah. I, I Only it's a miracle of Christ in your life that that can be true. Well, I think because when you've experienced it and you've seen what God can do through it, it feels like a mercy that he would reveal himself to you in that way where it feels more like a merciful thing than like a, why would you bring me through these trials like in anger? Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's a miraculous work that... Despite all that, he can give you a joy in your heart because you're you're rejoicing in not your circumstances. You're rejoicing in him. Yeah. Everything in this world is going to be taken away from us at death. Well, that you but get to we, know we, him. We have to, he is central. He's the focus. And yeah. when he's the focus, we can have joy in the worst of circumstances. Amen. And not ha 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 joy, but a joy that is a peace and a um a settled a deep contentment yeah, a deep, deep contentment. satisfaction mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's different that. i consider happiness more of like that trite circumstances ha, 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 whatever right, right like you know when i go shopping it makes me happy but that's not the same thing as like a deep peace joy that's kept and produced by the holy spirit absolutely now he said consider it pure joy and he gives reasons he says because it produces perseverance and growth and that's true it's true I, I don't grow unless I'm forced to grow, basically. Yeah. yeah. Basically. Well, and it just shows us our sin nature, that that's what, it, that's what we need to be able to grow, is we have to be humbled and we have to go through yeah. hard things. Yeah. Why would we change if, if you know, everything's going smoothly? Right. I mean, exactly. the lessons we learn in that school of hard knocks are so precious. We, we wouldn't want to go back there, but we do treasure what we learned from them. Yeah. The dependence, man. Mm-hmm. So if we need wisdom in our trials and temptations, we're supposed to ask for wisdom in faith, which I love that verse. I go back to it all the time. Mm -hmm. James also shares that when we persevere under trials, we'll receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. What I noticed is not only does James excel in the commands, but also in the promises. Mm -hmm. When we're studying James, 
don't just look at the commands. Look at what the promises are with those commands. And the same thing in the Ten Commandments, you know, honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and you will live long days on earth. So, I mean, you're right. We skip over that and we're so mad about the rules. (laughs) Right, right. But there's blessing in it. So uh, that's something to really notice in James. Maybe even put them in a different highlight. I know we did Bible marking this summer. You could highlight the promises in James in one color, the other promises uh, I mean, the, the commands in another color. And I think you'll be amazed at how balanced it really becomes. That's a great idea. All right. So, and then he goes on to talk about not living the truth. This is huge in James. One verse uh, 22 in chapter one really sums it up nice here. He's trying to communicate this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Then he gives this great illustration of looking in the mirror like, hey, Delaney, you see that big smudge of mascara on your face? Yeah. Are you just going to go off to work with that, you know, dripping down your face? No, yeah. no. Yeah, I am. You, you are going <laughs> to? No, you're not. No, I'm not. I, uh, but no, I, he, he says, you know, t- pay attention to what the word right. is revealing about you yeah. and do something about it. Um, he also goes in then to contrast faith versus works in chapter two. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Verse 17, he says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And then he uses Abraham again. I thought, found it fascinating that Galatians used Abraham and now James is using yes, Abraham. Yes, I did not notice that. That mm-hmm. is that's amazing. Isn't it? There's some real connections here. And then he, as he uses Abraham as that illustration of how he demonstrated faith by offering up his son Isaac. And we yes. read about his faith. He considered God able to raise the dead. We read that in Hebrews, that's, describing that scene. That's such a great example, too, because it did take faith for Abraham to be like, okay, I'm going to sacrifice my son. But it was... We knew that he had faith, though, because he went to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? He had every intent of following through yes. on it until God stopped him. Yeah. You see, and then he goes on in verse 22 in James. He says, you see that his faith, Abraham, he's still speaking about Abraham. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Hmm. Then in verse 26, as the body with the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So if we don't have, as the body without the spirit is dead, that's what I meant to say here. So faith without deeds is dead. So what James is really addressing, he's addressing those who have a profession of faith, but it's not real because there's no fruit. Okay. And speaking to that, all everybody, everybody nowadays with their little Instagram bio, where they'll be like saved by faith or a Christian or whatever, and then it's like the way that you're living your life is so hypocritical that, and this is something for me too, because I'm like, I constantly need to check myself. Like, Lord, please help me not be that. Like, so that's not, it's just not a judgment thing, but there are some people that are purpose that are professing and then like purposefully living in sin. Like those are different where you're like, you know, you're like, Lord, help me not be living this. And the people who are doing it like on purpose, um, that is something that drives me insane these days. And I feel like that is so prominent. And the fact that James is speaking to it like so long ago and that this is actually in God's word is huge. It's huge. And it's always been a problem. Yeah. It's just in a different because form, I think. Easy believism, now. whatever you want to call it, you yeah. know, mouthing a confession and then. There's no living the life or follow through on it. They easily fall away because there was no sincere conversion. Well, and if you've 
I'm like, how could you have been transformed and this not do something in your life? Like right. truly, like I think to my transformation and I'm like, what the Lord gave me and has done in my life. I'm like, I don't know how I couldn't live like that. Like it would feel just like a total trample on his grace. Right. But you know, we have an incredible ability as people to rationalize. Yes. And we and, justify. And we, and, yep. And we want to do what we want to do. Yeah. And yet we want to hang on to this concept of faith and being a Christian, because that does something for us in some way. Um, so it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. I think James, too, is trying to awaken those who are very immature. Remember, they've been scattered. Yeah. Or those who have not truly been converted, but are just, again, only professing it. Okay, I like that you br- that that he says that, though, the immaturity. Because yeah. that also can be a big part of it. Like, if True. you're a new Christian, a baby Christian. True. You know, you know it, it takes time for God to get into all these different areas totally. of our life, right? Agreed. Remember when uh, Laura Perry Smaltz was on and she said, you know, she, she received Christ. And then it took some time for her to start hearing the Lord that she needed to leave her trans Life. lifestyle. Yeah. You know, it wasn't overnight. Yeah. I mean, some people have those experiences, but most of us, uh, it's a gradual process of becoming more Christ-like of that sanctification. So I think that's what he's addressing here. He's trying to help them in that process. Mm -hmm. Another theme in James, of course, famous James for this, no control over the tongue. Oh boy, we feel the pinch when we start talking about the controlling the tongue, don't we? Yeah, that's a hard one. And Delaney, did you notice teachers beware? Yeah. Not... All many of you should be teachers, for we're held accountable by God. Mm-hmm. We're going to be judged more strictly. Mm-hmm. I keep that in mind all the time yeah. and pray for mercy. Yeah. Uh, James uses the illustrations for tongue. He's a master illustrator, by the way. Yeah. Bits in horses' mouths, a spark that sets a forest aflame, the difficulty of taming the tongue, or out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Well, he always uses an example of something that is seemingly little. Like, I think, does he talk about a boat? Like the rudder of a boat yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah that's like, in can there too. Like cause the whole direction of the ship. So right. something that we often just see as like a small thing. Because like if you think about it, a tongue is a small part of our body. Right. But it has huge consequences and impact. Yeah. A spark is small, a bit in a horse's yes. mouth when you compare that to the size of the horse right. and everything. I mean, that's what controls it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So uh, beware of our tongues. Mm-hmm. Um, another main theme in his book is fighting and coveting. You know, where the tongue is out of control, there will be all kinds of sin. That is a that is what from is the, scripture. Yeah, what is that proverb where it's like yeah. speak where there are many words there sin is, is not, not a absent. Lack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Took two brains to fill yeah, that I was in. Like, what is that? Okay. <laughs> we knew, both knew it though, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. 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 The yeah. the idea of it, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so he, he lists the, the sins here, what, fight, what is causing this fighting and coveting. And it's envy, selfish ambition, bitterness, and a real lack of wisdom. He challenges them to be peacemakers, peacemakers who sow peace and then reap a harvest of righteousness. So this is real life people, isn't it? Yeah. This is today. This, yeah. this is like the print is still wet in James. It's oh, so applicable yes. to us. And then another thing he has a, as a theme warning about is materialism. All right. That's, that's a hard one for me. Yeah. It's coveting. I mean, I think you talk about the Instagram and stuff and I, I, I have to be careful if I look at too much of that kind of things, I start coveting 
ooh, I like those booties or, ooh, yeah. gee, ah, oh, I should go get that mascara. It was number one out of 30. I mean, yeah, you know, you can be so controlled through that instinct to want to cover. Or just this incessant need. Like I've, I feel that too. Like I'm like, okay, well, I got to keep up, not necessarily a person, but with a trend. Like I'm like, I got to yeah. keep up with the trend, like whatever. Yeah. 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 We, we all feel that pressure. Yeah. And it, and it results in coveting. It results in a lot of negative things. Fighting to have more. Hmm. That's it. That's it. Wanting more and, and then thinking that more will fulfill. Yeah. And it's gone. You're on to the next trend, right? Yep. It's in your bag to goodwill. Yeah. Um, asking also with wrong motives in verse four, chapter four, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Hmm. And I like that he brought up that adulterous, like that's like, it's like cheating on God. <laughs> With your love and your heart and your motivations. Yeah, yeah. You're you're drawn to the things of the world rather than to things of God. Yeah. Yeah. And then in chapter 5, he gives a scathing warning to the rich who have abused others to get what they want. Mm. And it ends with an encouragement to prayer, probably one of my favorite passages on prayer. I love these promises for answered prayer. Again, there's more promises here in James. James encourages us to pray in every circumstances, including praying for forgiveness. And he reminds us that the Lord is faithful to answer. We are to have a communal life of prayer as well. This is interesting to me. You know, sometimes it's just always just us and God, Mm -hmm. but we are to reach out and to pray as a body of Christ. Yeah. Um, praying for each other, anointing with oil, having faith for one another. I've been in a position where I was so flat on my back. I asked several people, I can't pray right now. You yeah. got to pray for me. You got to pray for me. It's hard. You know, we need each other in the body. Mm-hmm. Sometimes someone else can have the faith. You just don't. You're weak. You're beat down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a beautiful thing to have prayer people you can count on to pray with you. And then he goes on in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective mm. because we're righteous in Christ. Then he gives us an example. I told you he was good with examples. And his example here is Elijah. He was a human being, even as we are. Again, this I was thinking about this whole concept driving here of prayer and I, thinking like he was just a dot on the world too. You yeah. know, he was just a dot, but he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it didn't rain again on the land for three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Again, he prayed, and the heavens again gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Mm. You're going to love the study of James. James is, and Galatians are powerful to study together. Yeah, and they're small, like small chapters, but like the truths in these are like, I mean, James on suffering is like some of my favorite passages, some of my favorite verses of all time. It's dense, isn't it? Dense. Weighty. Yeah. Dense. But that doesn't mean it's hard. Mm-hmm. It just means you want to look at every word. And and that's why we meet together for Bible study. Yeah. Because then we can help each other learn. Yeah. And to see the words. Yeah. Just a quick little Bible study plug. Yeah. Join, join Grace yeah, yeah, Women's yeah. Ministry Bible Study. Um, so, okay. Let's go back to our question. Yeah. Please. Are Galatians and James conflicting? I would say no, they are not. I think that that's been clear. made clear. Yeah. They are paradoxical, yes, because on the surface reading, that, that could cause you to think that. But however, the epistle of Galatians was written to believers who were in danger from listening to false teachers regarding what was required for salvation. 
So that's why it's this faith in Christ, not faith plus any kind of work. It's not about the law. It's not about legalism. It's about faith in Christ. And Christ kept the law that we can never keep. So now we are justified by God's grace through faith, through, through, through faith in Jesus Christ. And then James also speaks to the church that they were in to examine themselves to see if they really had faith, if they were really in the faith. They were also to test their maturity in the faith by seeing fruit in their lives, seeing a life transformation. So in that way, they actually build on each other. Compliment. Mm -hmm. They work really well together. Paul in Galatians also addresses the means for salvation. James addresses the fruit of salvation, which is a really great way to understand how they complement each other. Means and then fruit. Means and then fruit. Mm -hmm. Paul in Galatians addresses the means for salvation. James addresses the fruit of salvation. Helpful. And then the locomotive of our Christianity is by God's grace through faith in Christ alone and plus nothing. It's not plus something is going (laughs) to equal Christ or is going to equal heaven. No plus nothing and then the cars following that locomotive is would be the sanctification process as a result of the locomotive okay and so these two books of galatians and james are somewhat of a paradox they are two sides describing the same truth and i love the example that you brought up of that diamond that is such a great way to picture it that they're different facets but it's the same truth and it also shows us about god that god does not contradict himself never his, but he's, but in a, in a, he's complicated. Mm-hmm. Like these, he's all these different character traits and all these different facets, facets of who he is. And so, how amazing is it that we have God's word that we can know Him in that way and all of His different parts, and we get to study that. Yeah, it's really cool. Will you pray for us, Bev? I would love to. Heavenly Father, we just are so appreciative of Your word. Your word is truth. Your word shines forth in our hearts as truth. Lord, thank you that we get to look closely into these two books of Galatians and James. Thank you for this message today that we've been able to talk about the themes and the differences and the likeness and how they complement each other. Help us, Lord, to be good students. Help us to be good Bereans, studying your word, not taking it as somebody else's word, but really studying it for ourselves. So, Father, thank you for this book in Galatians that has really cleared our head that it is not by works, but by faith alone. And I thank you, Lord, for the book of James that tells us that in order to know if our, if our confession is sincere, there's going to be fruit. We are looking at the gospel. We are looking at justification and sanctification, Lord, in these books. And we thank you. We need them both. And it just makes you shine all the brighter in the glory of that diamond of the gospel. We give you praise and we give you thanks and help us to think clearly now on the truths that are in scripture. In Christ's name. Amen. 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 Well, it was great to be with you, sisters. Join us in two Mondays on She is Becoming.